Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. So glad you have joined us. Hope you're having a good day. And thanks for letting us be part of that day. We have lots to talk about today. We we t- covered this story a while back. We want to get an update on it. Big backup at West, po- uh, West Coast Ports. We have a lot of traffic coming in, and that's slowing things down going out, and it really is backing up the system. We're going to get an update from Veronica Nye, economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, about uh, what's going on with that situation. Are they any closer to uh, working through it? And in the meantime, how is it impacting all of agriculture? Because that's a critical uh, port area to move our products out of this country. So we'll get the latest on that. We're going to talk markets and overall economy today with Arlen Suderman from StoneX and a planting update from Illinois farmer David Erickson. Been wet in his area near the Quad Cities. We'll see if they're finally in the field yet or not. That's coming up later in today's program. But we're going to start it off with an update uh, on the news out of Washington, D.C. And joining us is... CHS, Washington Representative Will Stafford. Will, thanks for joining us. Uh, plenty going on, isn't there? Yeah, Mike, there is. It's uh, always a busy time in D.C., and Congress is back in session now after the Easter recess. Yeah, the administration's out uh, trying to sell its infrastructure plan, and also they've put out there now their budget proposals, including some big increases for USDA and, and EPA. Now, that's kind of a wish list. Uh, administrations usually don't get everything they ask for in these, uh, but what are your thoughts on uh, what uh, those requests tell us? Yeah, you know, you hit the, the nail on the head there, Mike. It really is more of a wish list. Um, when I worked in the Senate, my boss, Pat Roberts from Kansas, used to use the phrase, uh, the president proposes and Congress disposes, uh, meaning that, that it's really kind of a, a good look into the administration's uh, priorities for what they would like to see happen, but Congress is going to have the final say. Um, so like you said, there are increases across the board um, for really every major department. Um, and USDA is no exception to that. Uh, they have about a $3.8 billion increase, uh, which is a 16% increase over the current budget. Um, and overall, within the uh, entire proposal, you can really see the administration's uh, priorities on items important to farmers like climate change. Where do you think they're going to get the most pushback? You know, that's a good question. I, I think that they... First off, the the proposal that they sent forth is uh, pretty bare bones. It doesn't offer a lot of detail. Um, They've indicated that they'll be sending out a more detailed line-by-line budget um, later this spring in the coming months at some point. Uh, But I think that farmers are going to have to uh, keep a a close look on the climate change proposals, especially within USDA and EPA, uh, to see what that means for, for them and their practices and as well as uh, items elsewhere in USDA's budget that are always important to farmers like crop insurance. We often see attacks on crop insurance dur- during the budget process, and we'll need to be made, uh, make sure that those important items are, are fully funded. We're talking with CHS Washington Representative Will Stafford. Will, it's kind of 
standard practice when an administration makes these requests. They're kind of short on details. Uh, but as you said, those are going to be the important items we're waiting for, right? And uh, that's when really, they'll really get down to the negotiating on this. Yeah, exactly. Um, when the details come out, uh, you know, the president will be looking for Congress to uh, enact that, and he'll be looking towards his allies in the Democrat Party. Um, it'll be up to Congress, though, to, to hammer out what those details actually mean in practice when we get a budget um, by the end of the fiscal year on October 1st. So they will still need 10 Republicans to get to that 60 vote threshold to pass a budget. And I do expect the details in the end to look a lot different from what we're seeing right now. Um, there's a lot of concern in agriculture about uh, changes for stepped up basis and the, the uh, so-called death tax. Uh, Ag Secretary Vilsack in an appearance uh, this week before the House Ag Appropriations Subcommittee says he'll make sure the Treasury Department understands the importance of stepped-up bases to farm groups. Um, understanding the importance to farm groups and uh, and not changing it, that, that might be two different things, but uh, this is a, certainly, an, a, once again, a hot-button issue. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that we're hearing from our owners um, almost every day about how important it is to them, and it's something that we've been sharing with uh, members, on, members in Congress about... Uh, how important it is for family farmers across the country as well. So um, like you said, it was good to hear the secretary say that he'll at least engage with the Treasury Department. And it's always good uh, to have that advocate in Secretary Vilsack, who, who I do think understands these issues. Um, but the, the administration and members of Congress need to keep hearing it from farmers and farm groups across the country um, that, uh, you know, eliminating the stepped up basis um, or, or an increase of the death tax uh, would just be devastating to family farms across the country. Um, getting back to the climate proposals, and we know that there's a push for this. Now, the the key point in this continues to be, is it going to be mandatory or voluntary? And, of course, agriculture uh, always uh, is in favor, comes down on the side of voluntary approaches. Uh, what are you hearing on this? Uh, is is the administration administration leaning one way or another? Or are they tipping their hand on this? The administration is is keeping their powder pretty dry on this issue right now. Um, they're still currently in what I describe as a a listening phase, where they're looking for input from stakeholder groups um, and and folks within the agriculture industry on what is important to them on climate practices. Um, but members of Congress on the Hill, including um, Senate Chairwoman, uh, Senate Agriculture Committee Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow, have um, made it clear that it's important to them uh, that these programs stay mandatory. So, uh, you know, I do urge um, farmers and, and farm groups out there to uh, contact USDA and submit comments on that. Um, CHS has been very active on the Hill and with the administration in doing just that. Um, saying that, that these programs need to remain voluntary, uh, not mandatory, um, and they need to make sure that, that, that they don't, um, you know, take away from programs that farmers already use and rely on um, to pay for them. We don't want to, um, you know, rob one area to pay for the next. It's also going to be interesting real quick here, Will. Uh, the government wants more participation in conservation programs, may look at increasing funding for those. At the same time, uh, you get farmers looking at higher commodity prices, wanting to perhaps plant more. That's an interesting uh, uh, kind of a conflict there. We'll see where that goes. 
Yeah, it, it sure is. Um, and like you said, with commodity prices so high, um, you know, we, we love to see farmers um, getting getting seeds in the ground and, and, and planting things. Um, but I think that this conversation um, isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, like you said, it's something the administration's uh, looking at very closely. And I know it's something that members of Congress are looking at closely, too. So uh, I think it's something that we're going to have to watch not only this year, but all the way through the next Farm Bill in 2023. Yeah, programs to idle acres uh, are much more popular when commodity prices are low than than when they're high like they are now or higher than where they are now. All right, Will, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Yes, sir. Thank you. CHS Washington Representative Will Stafford joining us here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Clean. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. 
For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, as we've said before, there's a big backup on West Coast ports and really causing a lot of problems about moving uh, our products out of this country. There's a lot of products coming into this country from China and other places. I want to get an update on this from American Farm Bureau Federation economist Veronica Nye. Veronica, thanks for joining us. This has been going on for some time. Is there any breakthrough on this backlog? Yeah, thanks for having me on the program. Yeah, as you said, it's been going on. We've been seeing a steady build on the West Coast since uh, since about October. Um, so uh, there, there's certainly up-to-date staff uh, every day, especially out of the port of L.A. on uh, waiting time. And, you know, as of today, they're, they're up to uh, about eight days of wait time for a container ship to have to wait before it's un- unloaded, uh, which is, is pretty, uh, pretty rare. Uh, this is, for those ports, one of the slowest times of the year traditionally. Uh, so this crush really of imports has, has uh, really snarled the ports um, and uh, on the import side, but uh, as you said, also uh, significantly having an impact on, on exports. Yes, yeah, some have described it like a big parking lot there. Everything just kind of sitting there waiting. Now, let's talk about imports, uh, which I guess this really uh, became a bigger issue during the pandemic because uh, a lot of people in this country, consumers, instead of uh, their money going on services, traveling and things like that, they were buying more things, ordering more things. Well, a lot of those things come from China. So uh, I guess a lot of it, it's a big flow of products coming in. Is that is that the big part of what's backing things up and keeping things from going out as quickly? Yeah, you know, it's um, basically since the uh, coronavirus uh, sort of outbreak started, we've seen a lot of uh, challenges in, in shipping and transportation. And it, it, I think what we're realizing, um, maybe more now than ever, is how um, you know tight global transportation routes are as far as keeping systems balanced. So when when the uh, when COVID nineteen first uh, hit, uh, and you know we started seeing it slowly spread. You'll recall back, you know, back in uh, January, February of last year when it was, you know, mainly uh, mainly in China and we, we saw China shut down and their ports shut down. Um, and that's when we first started seeing uh, how, you know, how dependent these flows of containers are uh, from one country to another. So then, unfortunately, it you know, spread throughout uh, the world. And we, we got a little bit of an opportunity to uh, to get things balanced back out. Um, unfortunately, that's because the global economy was, was slow. Uh, and so we weren't seeing as much being shipped. And then now the problem we've got is that um, we're starting to see very uneven recovery from COVID. So in the U.S., you know, our, our, our vaccination rate 
is is much higher than than most uh, parts of the world. So, uh, you know, as of today, about 124 million Americans have received at least one dose of the vaccine, uh, which is about 37% of the population. Uh, and of that, 23% uh, of the U.S. population is fully vaccinated. Um, so that means that, you know, all of those consumers, all of us are, are out there saying, hey, we've been saving money uh, during during COVID. We haven't been doing, we haven't been traveling. We haven't been going out to eat nearly as much. We've just been saving our money. Um, um, and while those restrictions are starting to lift some, it also means that people can afford more things, as, as you noted. And when incomes rise, we tend to see folks spending money on both imports um, and domestic production. Um, and so um, basically what we're seeing now is, is just this sizable increase in imports because, uh, as you said, people have been staying at home, spending their, their saved money, um, and, and really um, – all those all those imports are, are making it difficult to uh, to get product in and to to then to get product out. We're talking with American Farm Bureau economist Veronica Nye about the backup on the West Coast at the ports. Uh, I understand there's another situation here, Veronica, tied to that in the fact that uh, ag exporters either can't get their products into containers or they're into containers and they're filled and they're just sitting there, which runs the risk of uh, spoiling and then also it's expensive just sitting there but is there also the situation where some shippers are sending empty containers back across the ocean so they can get filled up as quickly as they can with things that are coming into the U.S. and they don't want to take the time I guess to unload them and everything else if they send an empty container over there they can fill it faster and get it back here is that part of the problem? Uh, certainly, it is part of the problem. Um, you know, that's been a long-standing issue. Um, that's, that's nothing new per se, uh, but the level uh, has has increased pretty significantly of late. So, um, really, uh, the um, if if you think back to um, sort of identity preserved soybeans and and food grade uh, grains going to to Asia. Um, which, you know, sprung up here 15, 15 year, 20 years ago when people started uh, looking at, at shipping grains and containers. Uh, that really sprung up because we saw exporters looking around and saying, hey, they're sending all these empty containers back to Asia. Um, I think of it, I could get more for my, for my crop by, by doing this uh, IP type of regime and, and selling them in, in containers. Um, so I just mentioned that as an example of this being uh, this uh, phenomenon of sending empty containers uh, back is, is nothing new. But um, certainly when, you, when you're looking at U.S. demand for imports being so strong, um, there is, has been a significant increase in the number of containers that it, that's been going over uh, back, back to Asia empty. Um, and, and really, in, in a lot of ways, what, what we're seeing here is, um, yes, the, the exports are, 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 are sitting in, in, well, one, as you mentioned, getting a container is tough. And if you're able to get a container, getting it on the yard to be shipped is tough. Uh, and then uh, it's, 
additionally difficult for those ships to get into the port to finally be loaded. So we are seeing significant wait times for, for exports um, to, to get out. And, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, that's just a limitation of the ground space and labor available to, uh, to get those containers moved around and loaded and unloaded. Well, let's look at the impact of this. Obviously, I can see where immediately it would be a, a big issue for California producers trying to ship their products out. But I would think that the backup has got to be much further than that, right? I mean, uh, probably even trucks hesitate to come in there if they know they're not going to be able to unload. That backs that system up. I mean, is that does that back up clear across the country eventually? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, and, you know, I think it's, it's important to to sort of think about what um, what commodities are going out of, of the West Coast ports. Um, if you look at L.A., the, the top commodities uh, that were they're going out uh, via container uh, on the ag side um, by value is animal feed, soybeans, and, and cotton, which are maybe not the ones that you'd necessarily come to mind. Um, but then uh, in addition to those uh, hides and skins and then uh, and then on the on the fresh fruit and vegetable side, uh, oranges and lemons, uh, and and then of course nuts. Um, and those oranges and lemons and nuts are predominantly coming from from California. But when you look at those other items that I mentioned, animal feed, uh, beans, cotton, and, and hides and skins, those aren't California commodities. Those are uh, all across the U.S. You know, you, you think about where the packing plants are for the hides and skins and. And, and, of course, uh, beans coming, uh, a lot of those coming from um, sort of the upper Midwest where, where there's a lot of IP cotton from, from the southeast. Um, so this is certainly being being felt not just for California commodities, uh, California-grown commodities, but all across uh, the U.S. Um, and, and you're right. Yep. Um, it, it backs up throughout the whole supply chain as far as um, – the trucks don't necessarily want to want to go to the port, uh, or they're not. Well, one, they might not want to because they're going to have to hang out for a long time. The second is they might not be able to uh, because getting, uh, you know, in line is is a commitment in and of itself. Yeah, huge issue uh, with a lot of uh, impacts, a lot of areas for sure. So hopefully they can work through this soon. But we'll stay uh, in touch, Veronica, and get the very latest. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good one. YouTube. Veronica Nye, Farm Bureau Economist on the uh, West Coast Port Backup. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free 
and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. The strength in corn is coming from tight old crop supplies, strong cash market demand, and dry weather concerns in the U.S. and Brazil. Traders are worried that South American and U.S. corn production will not be enough to supply growing world demand. This theme has been active in the market since the March 31st acreage report. On the Board of Trade, July corn trading a penny and a fraction of a cent lower at 578 and a fraction. The December contract up a penny and a fraction at 5.12 and a half cent. For soybeans, the July contract up seven and a fraction at 14.09 and a half cent. The November contract up four and a half cent at 12.68 and a half cent. For wheats, the Chicago Wheat May contract trading three and a fraction lower at 6.44 and three quarters. Kansas City Wheat May down two and a fraction at 6.01 and a fraction. Minneapolis Spring Wheat May down a fraction of a cent at 6.60 and three quarters. The July contract up a half at 669. In cash cattle country, asking prices are around $122 to $124 in the south and $200 to $205 in the north. A very light scatter trade took place in parts of the south late yesterday afternoon at mostly $121. Most sellers continue to hold out for higher money. Cattle have been unable to stem the selling tide. Some pressure is coming from continued higher grain prices, with some being technical in nature. Hogs are trying to maintain the up upward trend as fear over tightening supplies continues. For lean hogs on the Board of Trade, the June contract down $1.07 at $106.62. For feeder cattle, the April contract down $42 at $140.72. The May contract down $0.47 cents at $144.95. For live cattle, the April contract down $35 at $121.72. The June contract down $47 at $119.55. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Ross. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to chill. First, keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Use an appliance thermometer to be sure things are cool. Then, chill leftovers and takeout foods within two hours and divide food into shallow containers for fast cooling. And always thaw meat, poultry, and seafood in the fridge, not on the counter, and never overstuff the fridge. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Arlen Suderman, 
Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Arlen, good to talk with you. I was reading some of your notes uh, today, and you said that the the export sales number that came out uh, is disappointing. Tell us about it. Yeah, it really was. Uh, it just all the way across the board, with the exception of grain sorghum, which we'll get to in a, in a minute, um, corn, soybeans, wheat, uh, beef, pork, all really disappointing, sales into China disappointing, really leading to some ideas that uh, perhaps high prices are starting to ration demand. And this data is a week old, and so in other words, this is uh, reflective of the week that ended back on uh, April the 8th. And we've seen more strength since then, taking prices to higher levels since then. Soybeans still going higher because we still have tight stocks in the United States. Some question about whether we have enough to get us to next year's harvest yet. And that continues to support the oilseed market. But other than that, we're really seeing a lot of red across the screen this morning, uh, and in large part because of that weekly export sales report. On the grain sorghum, uh, interesting dynamics there. At first glance, it looks really strong with 25.9 million bushels of old crop and 7.9 million bushels of new crop. But when you read the fine print, you find out that's simply USDA catching up with uh, sales that should have been announced long ago. And USDA, again, allowing these buyers to be slow to report. Um, these sales were all to China and unknown destinations. And the unknown destinations for grain sorghum are usually, not always, but usually China. Um, and so here again, uh, China getting away with not having to report until all of a sudden USDA does a catch-up or something like this. Um, so, again, very disappointing. Yeah, you, I mean, headlines can be deceiving. We know that. And you have to really kind of look uh, between the lines or, or dig deep sometimes. Uh, uh, as you've pointed out many times, sales and, and deliveries are two different things, right? And, and numbers that are, are reported and how they're reported, that makes a difference. Yeah, it absolutely does, and particularly in a market like this when we're trying to uh, ration out supplies that we have. We've got some production risks in both sides of the hemisphere, and so accounting for every bushel at the time of the demand really matters to this market. And uh, so it's very important that we be able to keep it. You know, the, go back to the original intent. I remember the great grain robbery of the 1970s. Um, and that's when Congress demanded that USDA have a system in place to report daily sales over 100,000 metric tons and uh, then the weekly sales reports, all to keep the industry informed of what was happening on the export market so that every, there would be transparency on what's happening with the demand side of the picture. Uh, and yet over the last couple of years, we've seen time and time again, whether it be the grain sorghum here, whether it be pork sales or beef sales or corn or soybeans. Back in January, we had the big bundled sale of corn to China that was announced uh, that really looks like it was uh, accumulation of sales that had been gathering uh, for several months and, and suddenly got reported all at once. Um, China has learned how to play the system. Um, their state grain buying agency, Kafco, is well integrated into the U.S. cash market now, it, making it possible for them to accumulate a lot of grain purchased for China. 
uh, and then it doesn't have to be reported until freight has been lined up, and even then it can go down as unknown destinations. It uh, doesn't really have to be labeled as to where it's going until it actually gets inspected and loaded for shipment. So uh, a lot of problems in the system that USDA continues to allow them to get away with. It sometimes seems like China knows our system better than we do. <laughs> they are shrewd, that is for sure. They're very smart in how they do the system, and they work it to their advantage. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the point of the legislation back in the 1970s was for USDA to work it to the advantage of the American farmer. Hmm. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. Um, all right, so let's look at the Safrina corn crop in South America. Uh, we know they're behind. Um how how do you see that impacting corn prices, the corn market, uh, moving through the summer? Well, USDA currently has that crop pegged out of 109 million metric tons, unchanged from the March estimate. Uh, our latest survey-based estimate in Brazil dropped it to 105 million metric tons. Uh, and it's important to follow this because any significant drop in the size of safrina corn crop has almost a one-to-one -one reduction then in exports from, from Brazil. And any reduction in exports from Brazil means customers have to look elsewhere. China's not buying any corn from Brazil, but a lot of other customers who we also do business with do buy a lot of corn from Brazil. So if Brazil supplies are short for them, then they're going to turn to the United States. Probably six months from now is when we would see that increase in export business further tightening next year's balance sheet. Uh, so it matters a lot. So if we see USDA have to come down another 5 to 10 million metric tons, that could be another one to 200 million bushels of U.S. export sales coming off of our balance sheet next year and further tightening things up. Right now, as I have my balance sheet for corn, um, if we only plant the acres that USDA said on March 31st, based on our estimated demand estimates, um, without a short safrina corn crop, we end up with the same stocks uh, at the end of next marketing year that we have at the end of this marketing year, which means we're snug, and that's assuming that we get a trend yield this summer, which is right now in doubt, according to a lot of climatologists. Uh, so if safrina corn crop ends up short, particularly if it ends up sub 100 million metric tons, we really tighten up next year's corn balance sheet if we don't get more acres and or see above trend yields. Yeah, we've got a lot, lot playing here now. Uh, yeah, we've got short-term, we've got some cold weather concerns. Long-term, we have dry weather concerns here for this year's crop and probably increases the need for more acres even more to, in case uh, the, you know, the production is down on the acres that we do plant. So... I almost got to believe we're going to wind up more acres than what USDA was saying back in into March. Yeah, if you go back to 2009, we did add about 3.5 million acres to corn and soybeans from the March 31 report to the June 30th report. It was about 2 million acres of corn and a million and a half of soybeans. Uh, I, I kind of detailed out the situation on corn, and I think the soybean situation is even tighter yet. Uh, which is one reason why we're still in the green on the soybean market today. 
um, whereas corn were kind of mixed to, to weaker in the old crop. Um, so with both of these crops, you know, I mentioned corn. If we get the acreage that USDA mentioned, we get a trend yield, we still have to ration demand. Now, African swine fever may take care of that rationing. Maybe it takes away 100 million bushels of demand uh, over the coming year. Maybe it's a little more than that, but that still just leaves us with the same tight stocks a year from now, and that's assuming we don't have any big weather problems on either side of the equator. Um, so, you know, the margin for error is very, very small over the coming year, which is why any time the market breaks at this point, unless we have a big black swan event, it's hard to imagine that these funds won't be coming in to buy those breaks when they occur, as they have been doing. When you look at the drought monitor map, what jumps out at you? Well, we've got a well-established drought in the northern plains and also in the southern plains. And so we're encroaching into the main producing areas from both sides. Uh, one of the keys we have to watch is the extreme drought in the southwest desert. And you say, well, it's a desert. What does that matter? But the climatologists I talk to say, We've got about a 60 to 65% odds of summer with this drought that's being established in the plains and with sea surface temperatures doing what they're currently doing if they hold here another month or so of seeing a high pressure axis set up over the Midwest. However, if it really starts to heat up in the month of May in the desert southwest and we get some extreme heat there, that can actually move that axis of that high pressure further to the west. Um, and if you move it 500 to uh, 700 miles further to the west, then you get the actual flow over the top of that ridge right down into the Midwest, and you get a milder, wetter Midwest summer. So that makes a big difference. Right now, the odds are, and the thinking is, is the axis, if it does set up, will be more over the western Midwest. Um, and which will keep much of the Midwest dry, maybe not so much in the, you know, east of the Mississippi River, but especially west of the Mississippi River. And again, that's 60 to 65 percent odds. It means 35 to 40 percent odds that it won't happen, but consider that usually we think the odds of a Midwest drought are about 18 percent. So that, that is something we really have to pay attention to this year, especially since stocks are so tight. Yep, we'll be watching it closely. As always, good to talk with you, Arlen. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Well, while a lot of uh, the country is concerned about dry weather, other parts of the country right now are trying to get started with planting but have been delayed because of wet weather. One of those areas is in Illinois around the Quad Cities. We're going to talk with farmer David Erickson about the conditions in his area. Have they been able to get started yet? If so, how much? We'll find out next right here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, 
maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel diesel that doesn't mess around. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. 
That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as we look at the planting 2021, kind of a staggered start. Some got started early, then got put on hold for some rain, then trying to get started again. Others still waiting to get going, and we have some cool weather to deal with as well. Let's go to the state of Illinois near the Quad Cities. David Erickson joins us. David, good to talk with you. Have you finally gotten started? Nope, not yet, Mike. We're still waiting uh, for ground to dry out from uh, the the deluge we had late last week. Um, we were at about four inches of rain uh, Friday Friday evening through Sunday morning. Um, so we're still, and we'd had about an inch or a little bit more, depending on where you were, a couple of days earlier in the week. So we had nice amount of rain there to get things charged up and with the cool weather it keeps bringing that moisture back up so we're we're hope, hopeful maybe get started next week but you did need some moisture i mean you you welcome that it just uh the timing of it maybe wasn't uh, what you right, would hope for right. but yeah. uh, i think we 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 had adequate moisture for planting uh we weren't um overly wet and we weren't certainly weren't dry but uh you know you You'll take rain ahead of spring planting most any time. You realize you're falling further behind a, a mutual friend of ours here in my area south of you, right? <laughs> I, I, I do realize that, and I and I get uh, calls or texts from him and another mutual friend in the Springfield area who, who lets me know uh, on a daily basis how far behind I am, but... Uh, I tell them that uh, I can catch up quick and and be careful what you be careful what you wish for because you can fall behind uh-huh. pretty quick too. So, <laughs> but that shows that shows the difference in precipitation in the state of Illinois. It's 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 a pretty big difference uh, from where you're at to f- further south of you. Um, it, I mean, the conditions change quite a bit. Yes, um, from what I know and talking to you know friends around the state, I believe that. Uh, you know, you don't go too far, and, and I'm, when I say too far, I mean um, 20 miles to the east of us is uh, dramatically uh, different than even where we're at. Um, so, you know, the, for example, the Peoria area did not get as much rain as what we got uh, here in our home location and going to the north and east, uh, certainly uh, lesser amounts as well. So, 
Um, yeah, it's it's not unusual though to get a staggered start like this to planting from areas to just depending on where the rain falls and and uh, ground conditions. So we'll we'll, we'll be all. So not only is as you pointed out, not only is it wet in your area, but it's uh, considerably cooler than uh, we thought it would be at this mm-hmm. time. We actually it seems like it was a warmer March than it has been April. Uh, but are we far enough far enough along now that uh, if once it gets dry enough, you'll go even with cooler soils? Yeah, I, you know I don't know. I honestly might have not uh, put a thermometer in the the ground. Um, soils obviously warm up slowly, but once they begin to warm up, uh, it takes a little while for them to you know turn that back around. And certainly the calendar is indicating that. Uh, ground temperatures and air temperatures should begin to warm up. So I can imagine that once uh, field conditions get correct next week, people will be planting with the assumption that things will continue to warm up. Yeah, even though cooler temperatures are in the forecast for looks like another week or so, we're talking with Illinois farmer David Erickson farms near the Quad Cities. David, we're seeing more and more early planted beans, uh, beans getting planted even before corn in some cases, which wasn't the the case years ago is so we've seen that that change in strategy in recent years uh, what about in your area i'm seeing it to some degree mike and i think it depends on the, the individual producers and and uh, how they're set up for planting i think um it's not uncommon to see people if you will hedging uh, their bed at planting time able to plant a few beans uh, early and then uh, maybe switch back to corn um, if they have a one planter uh, operation. If they've got a couple planters, they maybe you know wait a little bit longer and do them uh, simultaneously. Um, but, but granted, there are some people who would prefer to plant all their beans first. I, I don't. I haven't fallen in that category yet. I think there's a uh, um, good reason to make a measured approach to it and. That's kind of what we'll do. We do have two planters. We could plant both crops at the same time if, if things are right. We'll just kind of see how the weather works out next week. Decide then. A lot of discussion about markets buying corn acres or bean acres. Um, everyone was surprised with the planting intentions numbers came out from USDA at the end of March. Um have you made any switches? Are you moving any acres around because of uh, the markets? Um, no, we stay in a corn-soybean rotation, meaning that each field rotates uh, between mm-hmm. corn and beans on an annual basis. And I find that to be more the case in our area um, in general. Um, if somebody used to be a little heavy on corn, it appears they're more at a 50-50 rotation, and I think it's due to, you know, other environmental tests and, um, you know, considerations, labor considerations as well. Um, so I don't see that the market has affected crop mixes here um, like it may in some areas. All right, so the planter's ready to go. Just uh, as soon as it dries up enough, you're headed out, right? Yeah, I got them sitting in the driveway here, Mike. I'm, I'm literally, they're, they're perched at the edge of the field today. <laughs> I, it doesn't do me any good, I guess. It makes me feel better to get them outside and get a little sunshine on them for the day. So. Yeah, well, I hope you get started soon so you don't have to take too much grief from uh, 
you know certain friends of yours yeah. but uh, I know certain I know they're going to let you know yeah. about it yeah good luck to absolutely. you absolutely thanks Mike appreciate the call we'll check back in when you get going and see how it's going then all right thanks David David Erickson Illinois farmer near the near the Quad Cities still waiting to get his planting started hopefully next week all right that wraps it up for today tomorrow we'll get an update on the legal challenge to california's prop 12 and we'll look at some of the changes that the usda making in feeding programs and much more hope you'll join us right here on aoa adams on agriculture brought to you by Cenex premium diesel Cenex premium diesel diesel that doesn't mess around